If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. And uh, I do have to tell you, I did have, it was an amazing encounter weekend for me, week for me, and uh, a divine appointment I was sharing with this morning, and I thought it was funny, uh, uh, one of the, the speakers there, one of the rabbis there was teasing about some different things that go on. No, it wasn't, it was Ari Schweitzer, who used to be, uh, was President Bush's press secretary, and uh, just a great guy, but he was talking about different things that go on, different things that happen. He says, one of the names we have for God is Jehovah Sneaky. And how he sneaks up on you and how he does things in your life. And so uh, sharing that. And so God showed up in my life this week as Jehovah Sneaky in several ways. And it, it's always awesome. You look at those things and say, man, I didn't expect that God showed up in, a, in an unexpected way. And it's awesome when he does that. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so uh, uh, we just had some tremendous times and, and not expecting everything to go that way. But I have been... Uh, I, I love the Word, I love studying, I love these areas, but I love it when God confirms uh, the direction you're going and what you're studying with voices who know what they're talking about. Amen, Amen. that, that you, you get valid confirmation. And so I love that, and that happened. We had the opportunity to talk to some rabbis and uh, some different people and hear some things uh, from people from Israel. This was an amazing thing for me. Uh, to think that, I mean, I guess we had Gary Bauer, we had uh, uh, Senator Lieberman was there, uh, Michelle Bachman was our, our Tuesday night keynote speaker, and the different people. When you have the senators and the legislators, the influence that something has, it, it's just, it's very awakening. And to see what God is doing and to understand, when we had dinner Tuesday night, we had the privilege, we sat down at our table, they set us at our table, or excuse me, on Monday night, they set us at our table, and I got there, and uh, was sitting, and, and uh, they scanned you a little bad, and they tell you what table you're at, and so I'm sitting there, and uh, then the gentleman comes and sits next to me from Israel, and uh, Monday, Sunday night when we got there, he was standing in front of us during the worship and the prayer service, and so I recognized him by the way the, the yarmulke he had on the way his hair was cut and his little the little braid things they wear on and he had them tucked behind his ear it looked cool he was like rocking the braids it was awesome and uh, but just a neat guy but turns out he is a government liaison from the country of Samaria where the settlers are there and he is their English speaking liaison to our government. And he wasn't supposed to sit at our table. They messed it up. They, they had the area for the rabbis and, and, and all the Jewish people who were there who are kosher. And so they had a section where they were serving kosher meals just for them. But when they scanned his badge, they put him at our table. And, they, and he sat right next to me. So Jehovah has a way of sneaking up on you. <laughs> Amen. And I'm way off my outline, so it doesn't matter anyway. So with this... He sits down, he begins to talk, and we ask him who he is, and he says who he is, and begins talking, starts telling us a story, and uh, so it just was amazing. He opened up, and I'll share it with you in a few moments, but he starts talking about how they're living right now in Samaria. They are living the fulfillment of a passage of Scripture that was promised. And, and I thought I found it. I went home after talking to him Monday night. I get my Bible out. I'm pulling stuff up. I said, I found it. I found it. And then I saw him Tuesday at lunch. I said, I found it. I found it. I found the prophecy. I found the scripture. He says, no, that's not it. That's part of it, but that's not it. I said, oh, man. 
So then I go back. I said, I said okay, I found it. All right. Yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. So it's Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.5 where God says there will be vineyards again planted on the mountains and the hills of Samaria. Jeremiah 31.5. And he says, we are right now living. That is coming to pass. In the last 20 to 25 years, we have been planting vineyards on the hills of Samaria. I said, wait, wait, wait. Let me just interrupt you just for a second. I said, what you're saying is, is that a prophecy that was given by Jeremiah 2,600 years ago after the captivity and the destruction of the temple, a prophecy that was given 2,600 years ago, you are living out, you read as a people, you read that prophecy, and you began after 2,600 years to plant those vineyards again. And the vineyards are now growing on the hills of Samaria that have been barren for 2,600. Let me just get this straight. You are telling me. And he said, yes, amen. And I said, this is way too cool. This is a, and out of every place else he could have said, God brought him over, set him next to me. Chris was sitting on the other side and Larry, and we're talking. I'm going, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. And what I'm saying is that I'm finding, and, and, and we're going to touch on this in just a couple moments as we go through our message this morning, but you and I are grafted in to the root of Israel. And so I'm sitting with somebody who this is his life, this is his heritage. He, he, he's of Jewish descent. He was born here in America. He moved home 35 years ago. I said, that's awesome. I became a Christian 34 years ago. So this is awesome. Amen. And, and, and uh, so we're just talking. We make this great connection. And he's talking to me. I'm crying. I'm thinking about this stuff. And uh, while I'm doing it, and, and it's in my outline, but I told him, I, I leaned over to him. I said, hey. I said, I've been a Christian all these years, but I feel like, I feel like God is connecting me to my root. And what I mean by that is that in our society, I would just tell you, you do not understand Jewish culture. You do not understand Jewish people. And when you meet them on this level, and what God has done through Pastor Hagian in getting, it's amazing, in pulling people together and the cohesiveness that's come together where there's been a division between Jews and Christians. The cohesiveness that comes together. What type of cohesiveness? I shared it with Harvin and uh, uh, Wayne in prayer before service. Uh, on Monday night at the, the banquet for uh, the leadership there, they, had a, they took an offering for the campus ministry. They have over 260 college campus ministries of Christians United for Israel. There were over 400 college students there uh, for that conference. And then went, and they're the ones that we had them talk to the legislators and representatives. It was awesome. And uh, we had two girls from Folsom, one girl from Lake Tahoe uh, Community College, and a young man uh, from over in the Auburn area. And so it was uh, just a, a great time a ministry there, but in that evening offering, on the Monday night evening offering, a Jewish doctor who supports Kufi, Christians United for Israel, he gave $100,000 in that offering. So I'm thinking, okay, now you got a Jewish man giving $100,000 to a Christian. I said, this is cool. Are, are you with me? Yeah. On, Wednesday, uh, on Tuesday night at the Night to Honor Israel Banquet. 5,000 people in attendance. They take an offering there. 
Pastor Hagee, when he's going up on the platform to introduce Michelle Bachman as the keynote speaker, this gentleman stops him on the way to the platform, same, same doctor. says, Pastor, I want you to know that whatever the offering is tonight, I'm going to match it. I mean, oh, that's cool. So now, now I'm just telling you, where, where there used to be division, where there used to be a divide, because to the Jewish people, they are not believers. Jewish people aren't believers. They don't believe in God. They are from God. I want you to stay with this. They don't have a religion. They have a relationship with God. They are God's called out people. They are chosen by God. They didn't buy a land. God gave them a land. The land is their heritage. One of the rabbis speaking, he says, if you search history, every time Israel has been kicked out and foreign nations have come in to occupy, the land refuses to produce. It is a barren land. It only produces for the Hebrews or for God's people, for the Jews, because they are married to the land. They and the land are one. And so I watch this stuff, you go, okay, God, you are too. This is like a living, I, I mean, it's like being poured into a living Bible study. It was amazing. And so that's uh, just a touch. I can't, we could go on all day and never get to this. So watch this. As you follow the life of Christ as revealed through the Gospels, you will come across a man who places the demand upon those whom he comes in contact with. You will find him making no apologies or having any reservations when it comes to asking people to follow Him. If you read the Gospels, you find Jesus called people to follow Him without any reservation. And the calling was to forsake and to follow. We talked about this morning with the men in discipleship. Where does He get the authority to make such a request? What right does He have to ask them to forsake and to follow? What right does He have to change the way they have been taught. What gives this rabbi more authority than others? We're going to explore that in a moment and probably thinking about it. Jesus is our Savior, but He is also our rabbi. Are you with me? And so understanding that, and uh, Michelle came, I, I mean, as uh, uh, Nicole came home and she was over last weekend for dinner before we left, and she shared with me a website by a gentleman. I listened to some of the things that, that, that he was teaching on one of his lessons on his website, and I've incorporated some of that in here. And then the thing that was cool is that while I was there, I came up to a, a, a Jewish rabbi who was there, he introduced himself. We're taking pictures. And uh, they had the same, you take a picture in front of a banner and then uh, email it to yourself. And then this guy comes up, we get to talking, and he introduced himself. I'm here, and I'm working with the Spanish community who are friends for Israel and, and, and uh, kind of a liaison with them. I said, man, this is awesome. They're from Los Angeles and that. And uh, so then I go, I'm just curious. You know, I heard this guy saying, and he was saying, da 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 Amen. From somebody who knows. Amen. It's one thing for me to get up and talk to you about Jewish. I am not a Jew. I am not a rabbi. I have been studying and reading the Bible for 34 years. And I have understanding. I have insight that I think are correct. But when you get somebody who has lived this their whole life. And let me put it to you another way. We, we, we try to understand the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. They live the Bible. 
It's just like David told me, when we planted the, the, the vineyards on the hills of Samaria there, Jewish law requires that, that for, for the first three years, you cannot touch the crop. It is holy unto the Lord. If you are a farmer outside of Israel, you can do whatever you want. But if you are a farmer in the land of Israel, and you plant a new crop, that crop is holy unto the Lord for the first three years. You can't harvest it. You can't sell it. You can't do anything with it. It is holy unto the Lord. It is the first fruit unto God. On the fourth year, you can take it to market. Amen. I go, okay. All right, we, we just try to do stuff. They live this stuff. Amen? So watch this. So Jesus is our rabbi. So what gives this rabbi more authority than others? The Word of God speaks to all men everywhere with the same truth. It is up to us to study and show ourselves approved unto God. When we do, it comes to life. It is a quest that is worth our time and energy. It is an adventure that pays amazing dividends and anchors the roots of our faith in unshakable ground. I'm telling you, I have been on a quest for 34 years. I love the Word of God. I love getting around people who have an interest and an understanding of God deeper than just their salvation. I love finding somebody that I can actually talk about the Word about. Are you with me? Even on a pastoral level, it's hard to find. Tim Delina and I, my friend from Detroit, who's now with Brooklyn Tabernacle, we love getting together because we can just dive into this stuff and we're not going to mess each other up. Are you with me? Amen. We're just on a quest to know. Stay with me this morning. Some will question today, what right does Jesus have to make such a request of us? If we forget that we are not a separate entity from the Word of God, but we have been grafted into the Word, our faith and our lifestyle must be lived in agreement with the Word, not some abrogated form of faith. We can't just take something and pull something out and separate it for appeasement's sake and, 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 and just for, for settlement's sake. Let's just settle. Let's just agree on this. Well, I don't know about that. But let's just pull this out and let's just leave on this, which abrogated means to settle and, and to pull apart, to separate. We don't do that. We are grafted into the Word of God and we live by that. Are you with me this morning? That's where we live. Praise the Lord. So God is constantly confirming His Word to us. Watching His Word come to pass concerning Israel only works to confirm His Word to me as well. I'm sitting, I'm going, God, You are fulfilling Your promise that You gave to Israel 2,600 years ago. That Word has been laying dormant in the ground of promise. How many have been waiting like two or three days for God to answer a prayer? And you're going, oh, I wonder if God's going to come through, man. This has been a long time. Okay, this has been laying there 2,600 years. And at the appointed time, See what happened. Now watch, watch, watch. And, and, and many times we're like them. They're occupying. They move in. They're settlers in Samaria. They move in. They start rebuilding their settlement. And so they're olive people. So the first thing they plant is olive groves. And then they actually go to the book. Kind of like many Christians. There's that time we actually go to the book and read the book. And then we find out in the book what we should be planting is not olives but vineyards. We should be doing something other than what we're doing. God is kind of blessing this, but He would really bless what He appointed for us to be doing. Amen? And so they said what we did is we went out and we had professional soil people come in and they tested the soil and they said, you can't grow grapes here. 
because over the years, over, over the thousands of years, the erosion has removed the topsoil. The topsoil is not deep enough. Daniel said, we are a people of hope. And so we brought in bulldozers and we bulldozed the boulders off the top of the hills because what got them, as they were going through their olive groves, they began to discover ancient wine presses in the stone. There, there, there were stones there, they're square stone, and, and, and then they're hollowed out in the middle and they put the grapes in there and they crush them and they have a tilt to them and they flow down into another stone that collects the juice and then they gather that from there and they, and they go through the winemaking process. And so all over the hills we began discovering ancient wine presses. And so that's what sent them to the Word. And they said, oh, wait a minute. Jeremiah said that on the hills of Samaria, the vineyards would be replanted. And so the soil specialists come out and say, you don't have enough soil, you can't do that. So we said, well, we'll just go with God instead of with you. And so they bulldozed their hills, planted their vineyards. On the fourth year, they took their harvest down to the most well-known uh, uh, winemaker in Jerusalem. He tested their grape. They have the highest sugar content of any grapes grown in Israel. And he says, it is amazing. Listen, to this. he says, it's amazing because there is a microclimate, a micro, a, 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 in an area-specific climate to the hills of Samaria that causes them to produce grapes of this caliber because God said 2,600 years ago the hills will once again be planted with vineyard. And so I'm thinking that, God, I've been standing on Your Word. I've been believing Your Word. But when I hear God confirming His Word to Israel, it causes my faith to be rooted. I'm grafted into that, bless God. I've been grafted into that tree. And you and I are partakers of the promises and the faithfulness of God. Somebody ought to shout amen. So that's why I put it in here. When God is constantly confirming His Word to us, watching His Word come to pass concerning Israel only works to confirm His Word to me as well. So the last week I had the privilege of meeting some amazing men from Israel and being introduced in a personal way to my heritage, your heritage as well. The root of my faith. The things God spoke and revealed to me were amazing and eye-opening on a very personal level of my faith. And I'm just saying to you, this is what God did for me. I'm sharing a testimony of something God is personally doing in me and causing things to come alive in a way like never before. And I, I, this is what I told Daniel. I said, Daniel, after 34 years of being a Christian, I'm now finding out why. I'm that wild branch that's been grafted into the true root from which I receive my life, my promise, and my blessing. And meeting these men and, 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 and not telling them they need to get saved and accept Christ as Messiah. But just saying, I stand with you. Because I live... When Jesus showed up with the woman of Samaria, He said this to her. He says, we worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. They are the root. And so I, I put this passage of Scripture in your outline this morning. Follow along as I read it from Romans chapter 11. It says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. Hear that. If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. Wow. 
Wow. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now just get that. They are a whole, God said they are a holy people. They are His called and chosen people. And you and I are grafted into that. And we are holy because they are holy. How many know that you and I abide in the righteousness of God? Not in anything of our own, the Bible says. Paul wrote early in Romans that, that, that is the, there is no none righteous, no, not one. It is Him. Amen. We're a partaker of His righteousness. And how many know that He is the root of the root? He, Jesus is the root of David. And we are grafted into Him. Hallelujah. So stay with me. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive were grafted in among them, and with them, everybody say with them, partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree, Boast not against the branches, boast not, boast not against the branches, but if you boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root you. Thou will then say, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but what? Fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest He also spare not thee. Now, that's just a good thing for you to meditate on every now and then. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but towards you goodness, if thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Verse 23. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut of the out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree how much more everybody say how much more how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree for I would not brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of what the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sin. And as I was sitting there, there are people today in, in Christendom that, that, that are teaching doctrine that God is finished with Israel. But I just started thinking, if that is true, then you are just whacked in your little pea brain head. Because the Bible says that Israel did not choose God. And I shared with the church this morning. Israel did not choose God. But God went to Abraham and He called him out of where he was. And He said, I will make of you a great nation. And out of Him God formed it. And I will make of you a people unto Myself. You are My people. I have chosen you for Me. You did not choose Me, but I chose you. And I am making you. And so for you and I, there are places in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, where it's a, I'm ahead of myself, but the Bible says that we are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood unto God. Amen? A peculiar people. How many know that the world sees Israel as a peculiar people? 
But you and I as Christians, we are the same. But we are called out. And for us to stand on when Paul says, He that has begun a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Christ. Then if, if you say that God has done with Israel, then you can't claim a verse that says that you're chosen, that He'll complete a work in you. Just because you don't understand how it works, you can't wrap your peanut brain around the wisdom and the magnitude of God and the comprehend how God works. I don't understand a cutting off so I could be grafted in, but I know it is the wisdom and the righteousness of God because God can't choose a nation for Himself without giving the same grace to all of humanity. And there's something working around the nation of Israel that our mind doesn't understand. And when Paul says, don't get arrogant, don't get proud, but just rejoice in the fact. And I'm sitting there with these men, and I'm going, I understand. I'm seeing what I'm grafted into, and my heart is breaking because there is a blindness on their eyes. And they acknowledge Christ, but they don't see Him as Messiah. But even though there's a blindness, there's still a promise of being grafted back in and a restoration and a Messiah and a Redeemer to come out of Zion for them. Amen. Wow. So when we understand the history of the root, we will understand the walk and the call of our faith in even a greater measure. I just want to walk you through this. What right does Jesus have? What right does the Lord Jesus Christ have to come to you and to say to you, follow me? What right does He have to ask you to follow Him? What authority? Where does He get this authority? Now let's this young man teach on uh, this lesson. And I wrote down these areas and this is what I asked the rabbi there in Israel and he confirmed it. These are the stages to qualify to become a rabbi. Every young boy, young Hebrew boy in Israel is trained to be a rabbi. When they start. When you, when you start in, in, in Israel, when, when you take your child to Sunday school, they begin training them to be a rabbi. And if you look at it here, uh, only the best of the best make it. How many have ever had any sports aptitude? You were good at sports. And you thought, well, maybe I could turn pro. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, every now and then, baseball, soccer, basketball, whatever it may be, you know, ping pong for me. I thought maybe I could be in the Olympics someday. But uh, anyway, uh, but how many know that when you get there, like I've watched a little bit of the U.S. Open, I mean, the British Open, watch these guys play golf. I play golf. Not at that level. I, I watch those guys hit out of that. I mean, rough is up to their knees and they hit the ball. and I can't even find the ball. And they can hit it out of there and advance it. I, and it's another level. And so to be professional, if you think about that, it's only the best of the best of the best that make it. No matter what you think of yourself. And so as you grow... You're going through this process. So as you take your, your children to synagogue and to train as young children, they, they begin, first of all, by age six, you're required, in, in, in your trek, you're required by age six to memorize the book of Leviticus. Not read it, memorize it. How many wish your six-year-old could read by age six? 
In America, we wish it should be that way because they're in first grade. They should learn to read in kindergarten. Amen? And, uh, but anyway, hopefully they read by age grade 12. Amen? Yeah, our public schools do such a great job that our schools graduate with below a sixth grade education. Every newspaper you ever read, every periodical is written at a sixth grade level because that's the level of our great educational system. Praise the Lord. Anyway, back to the outline. So not reading from a Bible, but learning and memorizing it from your father's memory. There, there are no Bible bookstores at this time. Many of you in here today, you, you have your phone on electronic advice. You, on your iPhone, you can, I, I, a Bible soft thing on my, I can download 47 versions of the Bible on my phone. 47 versions. I did a word search on my phone. I found, I found the scripture, Jeremiah 31.5, by doing a word search on my phone while I was eating lunch at a table next to Daniel because the one I thought I found was the wrong one. So I went and got on my phone, and I found the right one. He said, no, look up Samaria. I was looking up vineyards. He said, look up Samaria. So I found Samaria. Da, 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 there it is. Da, da, da. So I went back over. Hey, <laughs> I'm smart. I know how to use technology. Amen. But anyway, you didn't learn it from reading it. You learned it from your father quoting it to you from his memory of it. You were taught it by memory. So by age six, you had to be able to, you had to have memorized the book of Leviticus. How many have ever read the book of Leviticus? How many started to read it and said, this is boring? Okay, all the laws, everything, all the ceremonial law and everything that's in it. it is in, and, and then you're doing it in Hebrew with all the in there. Everything. You got to talk from your throat. Amen. And so learning that. Are you with me? All right. Then after you do that, if you're able to do that, if you're not, by six, if you're not, you're told, nice try, go and learn the family business. Trade, whatever it is, you would just be in the family trade. If you learn that, you go to the next school, forgive my spelling, I didn't have time, I was looking, I couldn't find the actual spelling, but the next stage is called Bestafar, which is the school of discipleship. Or, or the school, excuse me, the school of the Bible, and from age 6 to 12, you study the Torah, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, from age 6 to 12. And when you reach the age 12, your examination is not whether you can answer questions. It's, it's not how good a questions you can answer. They, they, they don't give you a test and you answer the question. The examination is, is can you ask questions that keep the conversation going about God? And when you find when Jesus was age 12 and he's in the temple, he is baffling them with his questions. And so he passes the test. And then if you pass the test, you go into the next level, which is called the Talmud, if I think I remember it right from my notes, the Talmud there. And, and, and that is the area where you spend the next, there, there's five levels, and that's from 12 
to 30, 18 years. So we read about Jesus going home after being at the temple and staying behind and being subject to his parents and remaining there for the next 18 years. We don't hear. He disappears for 18 years going through these five levels of training to become a rabbi. Now stay with me because you find out when Jesus bursts on the scene, everybody is calling him rabbi, not carpenter dude. They're not saying there's some carpenter dude from Nazareth that, that, that is starting this rebellion. They're saying there's a rabbi who is teaching with authority. And it has been generation since anybody, we have never heard anybody speak with this kind of authority. So in those five levels, so he passes the test at age 12, and then he begins the next 18 years, and so you get to level one. If you pass that, you go to level two. If you pass level two, you go to level three, and so on, until you get to level five. If anywhere along the lines you fail the test, they tell you, nice try, go home and run the family business. So you're, you're consecutively, when you're not in school being trained, you go home and you're practicing your family business. You're being schooled at home and trained at home, which is why Jesus was known as a carpenter, which is why in Luke 4, when he stood to read the Scriptures and he spoke with authority, declaring that this day this is fulfilled in your ear, they said, wait a minute, this is Jesus, Joseph's son, the carpenter. So they knew who he was and they recognized him from where he was, but they knew he was shot. But when he begins to speak, he speaks at another level. And so level five of that training is when you reach age 30, it is here, and, 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 and again, forgive uh, my spelling of this, but it, stage five was called the shmika. Am I saying it right, Aaron? Shmika. And the word shmika means authority, it means authority authority and if you complete all five tests and you're at 30 at age 30 you are baptized and in order to be a rabbi that has authority you have to have two confirming voices at your baptism that confirm your authority so when Jesus comes down and he is baptized when John sees him coming, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he speaks of his authority when he says, I am not worthy to even undo his sandals and to carry them. His authority is high. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And John witnesses to his authority. And at that moment, nobody else was speaking up. And so God chose and declared, if nobody else is going to say it, I'll be the second voice. And so when he came up out of the water, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Are you with me? This is my... And so there are two voices that confirm his authority. So now he is a rabbi with shmika. Which means that if you are an ordinary rabbi, which is what 99.9, .9, and I was talking to this rabbi, and I got to this point, and I said, if you get the five, then, then, then you get the, the shmika authority thing. And he goes, no, 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 I am regular. No, 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 no authority. I said, no, no, but you get there, and you get the two confirming words, then you have authority, and, and you get to interpret scriptures. Is that right? He goes, yeah. I said, cool, that's what I need to know. 
Amen? And so then watch, watch. So then, if you're a rabbi with shmeeker with authority, what that means is, is that you are allowed to interpret Scripture and give meaning to the Scripture. If you do not have authority, all you can do is repeat what you were taught by your rabbi. You cannot add to, you cannot take away, you cannot expound. You cannot bring clarity. You are only allowed to regurgitate and be a parrot of what you were taught and what's been handed down to you from generation to generation to generation. But Jesus being a rabbi with shmika. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Now watch this. Watch this. A rabbi with shmika is a rabbi with authority. And it's in your outline there. The word for that authority, shmika means, it means burden. Burden. The other word that's used with it is yoke. So when Jesus says in Matthew 11, I put it in there, where He says, come and learn of Me. My burden is easy, and my yoke is light. My teaching is easy. My teaching is light. These others have been teaching you, and they have had you under a burden. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, you heap burdens upon them that you don't even keep. And so when a priest or a rabbi with authority comes... With Shmika come, and, and, and he's saying that he has a light burden. How many know multitudes will flock to hear a light word? A word that lifts the burden and destroys the yoke of oppression. I like what this one guy said. He says, because of that day, there were Pharisees. And the Pharisees were just people who had professionally learned how to manipulate people to make money through their religious guilt. Sounds like church today, doesn't it? That we learn how people to have, give people religious guilt and then manipulate them to draw resources from them. So watch this. Matthew chapter 5. Watch what Jesus says as He begins to speak. Verse 17 says, Don't think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom. Look at the way He's talking. If you, if you go back to Mark chapter 1, you'll find when he casts out the devil in the temple, they say, wait a minute, what power and what authority is this? That this rabbi comes into the temple and operating in perfect order in the temple. Jesus was not a revolutionary. He was completely lawful in everything that he did. He went through the whole process of becoming a rabbi. Fulfilled the whole 30 years of training. And then at his baptism, he was confirmed with the two voices of authority. So when he stood up in Luke chapter 4, and it's given him the book as was his custom, meaning as he had been trained to do. Here's a little side note. He was given the book to read. But this time when he read it, he didn't read it like before. This time he says, I speak to you with authority and this is fulfilled in your... Wait a minute, you can't tell us this is fulfilled unless you are a rabbi with shmika and authority. And he says, it is fulfilled in your ear. And it so aggravated them that they took him to the cliff to throw him off. Right. 
Are you with me here? And so in that, and David said this. David said, when I went back to Israel, the word for going back to Israel, I can't remember what it is, but it means to ascend. Huh? Aliyah. And so when you return, when you go home, it is the Aliyah, which means that I'm going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is God's holy nation and it is higher than every nation of the world. It may be lower in altitude, but it is higher in recognition with God. And you don't go to Jerusalem without ascending up. And so I said, I had my ascent. And it's just the same word when it says there are seven priests on every Sabbath that read from the Torah. And when they go up to read, it is called the Aliyah. They ascend to read the Word. Because God's Word is higher than every word of man. And you must ascend to read it. Woo! Is this, am I boring you? And so Jesus, he reads this word and he begins to speak with authority. And look what he said. For I say unto you, look at verse 20 said, you have heard it said, look at verse 22, but I say to you, you have had rabbis with no authority repeating to you generation after generation, this is the way it is. But I am a rabbi with authority. And I say to you, remember when they came to him and they asked him, by what power and what authority do you do this? He says, okay, I'll ask you one question. The baptism of John, was it of men or of God? And he reminds him, I was baptized by John. Remember when I was baptized? Because it says everybody heard the voice. Everybody heard God say, this is my beloved son. The people that were there heard John say, he is authority. And then when he comes out of the water, they heard God say, this is my son. He is authority. I confirm his authority. And so they're asking, by what power, what authority? The battle between Jesus and the rabbis and the the Pharisees of that day. Where do you get the power? You're turning everything upside down. Where do you get the authority to walk into the temple and purge the temple and say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He was walking as a priest with authority. Now stay with me. Once you can read on the back of your outline. But once you became a priest with authority, once you ordained as a priest, the very next step that you have is that you go and you call disciples. You call disciples for yourself. And the normal venue was is that you went back to the school to discipleship. You go back to the place where the people have already memorized Leviticus. They're at least 12 years old. They've already memorized Leviticus. They've already been through the five books of the law. They've already passed the exam of asking questions to continue. And you walk up to them and you say these two words, follow me. Follow me. And you accompany that statement by saying, I believe that you will do greater works than me. Is this clicking with anybody but me? In your Bible, in John 14, what did Jesus say to his disciples? Follow me. What did he say in John 14, 12? He that believes on me and the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works in thee because I go to my Father. 
But Jesus did not go to the school of prophets. He didn't go to the people who had all the eloquence and, and had everything in a row. He went to the people who had been discarded by life and disqualified by life. He went to the people that didn't make it through first grade. They didn't memorize the book. They couldn't get to answering the que- asking the question. They were said, no, go home and be normal. He says, I will go to the disqualified people and I will call my disciples out of those that you have disqualified and I will use them to change the world. So when he calls you and I, what right, what right does he have to walk up to men and say, follow me? He's not just a teacher. We were riding from the airport to, the, to our motel when we arrived in Washington, D.C., and I posted a little bit on Facebook, but we had a, a Muslim man from Pakistan who was our driver, moved over there when he was with his family when he was just a teenager. And so we began to ask him about his faith. And he's going through all this. I said, well, who's Jesus? Well, he's a prophet. I said, yeah, he's a prophet. Okay, cool. And, 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 and said, we believe that he was born of a virgin. But, but, but the way they believe, it's a progressive belief. And so, because Muhammad is the last prophet, he is a higher prophet than Jesus. Even though Jesus is born of a virgin birth. And so then this guy, he just starts opening up and he's confessing all this stuff. He goes, I wasn't a good Muslim. I drank, I was carousing, I was doing all this stuff. I said, oh, you were a jack Muslim. Some of you know what that means, amen. <laughs> anyway, and so, no, actually what I said, I didn't say that. I, I did say a Jack, you were like a Jack Mara. I said, you're like most Christians. There you go. Amen. I believe all this stuff. I'm raising all this stuff. I just don't do any of this stuff. I just live like hell and go to church every now and then. Pastor, why are you talking like that? Because I have authority. Yeah. <laughs> amen. Now watch, 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 watch. So what? So we're talking to him, and he talks about it. And, and so I, we're asking questions. And then I asked him, I said, hey, I'm curious. I'm curious. How do you find forgiveness? You're confessing that you did a, how do you find forgiveness? How do you get forgiveness? In your faith, how do you see forgiveness? Oh, I just quit doing bad things and try to do my best. And I hope that I'm accepted. I said, that's all you got? It's, it's a, and, and, and we just leave it up to God. I said, God already decided. He said He sent His Son. And Jesus bore your sin. And you are forgiven in Him. And you can know that you know that you know that you know that you are forgiven and you are restored and you have an inheritance in heaven. Come on, that deserved a better amen than that. And so we got, to, we got to talk to him, and then when he dropped me off, I got to pray with him and just say, Lord, help this young man, Muhammad. Help him. He's got an open heart. Lord, show yourself to him. I mean, I, I believe God can show up. You're not going to convince somebody with words in a few moments. But he opened his heart, and he began to talk, and he is open But God can give him a Damascus Road experience. God can show up in his life. And he can go, who are you, Lord? And he can say, I'm Jesus, whom you've been fighting against. And this man can be saved just like Paul was. Amen? And that's what people like that need. You're not going to change a religious zealot like that. 
But God gives you the opportunity. You can sow that seed and you can pray for them. Amen? And I pray, God, that he can know that he knows that he knows that you love him. You gave your son for him. Praise the Lord. Let me finish this this morning. Bill, if you come back to the keyboard. So a rabbi's teaching is called his yoke and his burden. So when he goes and he gets his disciples, they begin to teach and say to them, follow me, I believe you can and will do greater things to me. Now hear me, hear me. Every Hebrew boy, from the time they first begin to understand, has a longing in their hearts to hear two words. Follow me. Because it means you're being called to be a disciple and to become a rabbi for God. And they long for that. So when Jesus walks by the shores of Galilee, and he comes across fishermen who've been going to synagogue. And the only thing they know about Jesus is that they have, as we've been going on Tuesday nights through this, is that Jesus at His baptism, they hear the authority, and John's even telling those who are with Him, that's the Son of God. I have to decrease that He might increase. Go follow Him. He's pointing people to Him. Disciples are watching Him. And they're curious around Him. Because they know He is a rabbi, it's getting out in Jerusalem. In Israel, there is once again a rabbi with authority. And maybe he will have a word that will lift these burdens off of our lives. So crowds are gathering around him. And when you get to Luke chapter 5, and the crowds are pushing on Jesus, he says, Peter, let me use your boat. Because people have been oppressed. By handed down traditions. And say maybe there's a voice of hope. So a multitude is pressing against him. He says Peter let me get in your boat. And he goes up in the boat. And he teaches them from the boat. And he says Peter let's go. Catch some fish. Thank you. And they go out. And then he vindicates his authority. With a miracle. Of a great catch. They get back to the land and Peter's falling down. Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter, Jesus just goes, hey. Hey, look. Follow me. Peter goes, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm a sinful man. I didn't make it through. I didn't even get to six. Knowing Peter, Peter didn't memorize any of Leviticus. I didn't even make six. I didn't get out of first grade. And you and you you're a rabbi with authority. You could choose anybody. You could go to the school. You could have called you could call anybody. Anybody would follow you. And you just said to me, follow me. And you just said to me, you believe that you see something in me that I would do greater works than you.
Peter and Andrew follow him. And he goes just down the shore a little bit further and sees James and John as they're unloading their boat. And with authority, as a priest of authority, just says, follow me. And immediately they leave. And then a little while later, he goes by a tax collector who's collecting taxes in the region where they're fishing. So he goes to their IRS agent and says, hey, Matthew, Simon, follow me. And so now these guys got to learn how to get along and forgive their IRS agent who's been stealing from them as one of their disciples. Let me say this to you. Every one of us in this room has heard the voice that says you're disqualified. That you can't do anything for God. You failed. You didn't make the cut. Nice try. But we only take the best of the best of the best. And then Jesus comes to you. And he says, follow me. He says, I know the world's disqualify you. But today, I restore you. And you just say yes. And that's what we do. We just get up and we go. Yeah, but what about nothing? Because if he's called you, everything is contained in the call. And the greatest thing is, the greatest thing is, is that the weight of discouragement, the weight of disqualification, I remember. I remember the rejection. Of my, I remember the pain of my failure and getting saved in the pain of failure. Saying, God, I failed at life. I failed. And God loving me. Then I remember just choosing to serve God. Then I remember the night I graduated Bible school. This pastor comes up and he goes, Hey, would you come work with us? Would you come be on staff with us and help us? Like, Wait a minute. And then I remember making the call, Hey, I, I, I need a license to preach. I, I'm called. Received a call. I, I didn't send out a rest. This guy approached me and called me. I said, I want to serve God. And I'm being told, I'm sorry, son, you're disqualified because of your failures. But I remember something inside of me being able to say, hey, that's all right. I think I'll serve God anyway. Because He called me, not you. And all I want you to know today is that God is still calling the disqualified. Whatever your failures have been, whatever it's been, there is a rabbi named Jesus who's walking by your life today and he's saying, follow me. You just have to cross this one hurdle. In Luke 9, verse 59 and 60, Jesus walking by and he sees a man. Not everybody called answered. Heard one guy say he was 12 for 12. He wasn't 12 for 12. The rich young ruler didn't answer. 
and this young man who isn't named didn't answer. Jesus walking by, seeing another young man, said, follow me. And the young man said this. He said this. He said, let me first go say goodbye. He said, no. When I ask you to follow, you no longer are first. And that's where some of you have struggled. You've come to God, but you've come to God with a let me first. Let me first. You wonder why your walk gets stagnant and stable and, 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 and it just you run into hiccups and hurdles because of let me first. God's saying to you, follow me. He has every right and every authority to do so. Your rabbi calls you, follow me. you're here today and you need to let go let me first you don't raise a hand you don't bow your head the way you let go of let me first is you move immediately you move if you're here today and you need to move move right now move right now just say yes to him move right now there's a rabbi with authority who's passing by you saying follow me I believe in you. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Yeah, but Lord, I need to take care. Lord, what about this? Lord, about that? He, he doesn't care about any question. Immediately, they left their boats. Immediately, they forsook everything. Immediately, they left behind. And they trusted the one with authority to call. And I know this, that He is faithful. And if we get to that place where we just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. What follows that is amazing. What follows that, is, all I can tell you is 34. It's just like this little thing I'm going, God. They said about asking the questions about God. Think about this. The one rabbi goes, he goes, yes, we ask questions. You know why we ask questions? Here's why we ask questions. Because God is so big, you will never understand Him. God is so big, we could never comprehend Him. The best we could do is search to know a little bit more. To ask one more question, to seek one more answer. I just ask one more question. I just see one. Just, God, reveal a little bit. Remember Moses said, God, I want to see you. God said, you can't see me and live. So the best I can do is cover you and I will pass by. And I will let you see the backside, the trail of my glory. And I can reveal that to you. But I can't show you all of me. And so here's a people that understand God and that we're just on a quest for Him. And so you live your life asking questions. And this I say, God has been so gracious to me all these years of serving Him. That I share with the men, I told you that He calls Himself Jehovah's Sneaky. And I said earlier, but he sneaks up on you. And he goes, hey, da 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 da. And he just shows you a little bit more. As I listen to these men, and I've heard these things just in this last week. And I hear a little teaching here, and I hear this guy share his testimony here. And I hear this rabbi preaching in the conferences and stuff. And I'm listening to this, and I'm seeing what's happening. And God's going, 
There's a little more. And it's just like, okay, do you have another question yet? Do you have another question yet? Watch it. You know what one rabbi said? A rabbi said this to me. Not a prosperity preacher. A rabbi. When I was asking about the progression to become a rabbi. He says, hey, you know, you know what your problem is? You don't ask big enough. You don't ask big enough. He says our God is immeasurable. He's limitless. He is boundless. He says, you don't ask big enough. And then he said this, if you want a red Ferrari, ask for a red Ferrari. I said, really? He said, yes. He may not give it, but listen to what he said. He said, ask for what you want. Be specific and ask for what you want. You don't have to beat around the bush with God. God is more good than you understand His goodness. His goodness is greater than what you understand. He desires to give. I said, He would never give me that request. He said, why? Because He knows what I would do in a red Ferrari. He will not facilitate my sin. But He will fulfill your desire and accommodate all of your need. But when you're believing and you're following Him and you're saying let go and you you let go of let me first and you just say yes. And while you're following Him, something rises up in God. Do I dare ask for this? Yes. Ask. Ask specific. Ask in abundance. Ask above and beyond all you could ever ask or dream. Because He is a God who is that big. Father, today, I pray for Your people. Lord, You call us. You call us. Lord, I pray for each one here. Each of us has heard that voice of disqualification. We've heard that voice that says we failed. We've heard that voice that says we don't have enough. We're not good enough. We're not bright enough. We're not sharp enough. Don't, whatever it may be, God. We made too many mistakes. Do whatever. Whatever that voice of disqualification is. You come by. You didn't choose your disciples amongst the qualified. You went to the lost, to the broken, to the hurt, the wounded, and the needy. You called the disqualified. You heal us and restore us. And you say, follow. Lord, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. More than a prayer. God, we're not giving you a prayer today. We're giving you a yes Yes, we will follow you. We will serve you. We will receive your burden, your yoke in our lives. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. tell you the cool thing about following is you don't have to make anything up. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to worry about where am I going to go? What am I going to do? You're not directing the path. He's directing. You're following. 
You're following. It's easy. It's easy. And then he shows up as Jehovah Sneaky. And you find yourself in places you never thought you would be. Amen? Amen. Father, today, I pray your blessing over your people. Bless them. Bless them. Lord, you, we saw you revealing yourself to that young man from Pakistan. Father, I saw you speaking into lives. God, you revealed yourself to me in a greater way. Lord, do that for your people. Show yourself to them. Let them know you. Jesus, you said this is eternal life. That we may know you, the only true God. And your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Father, I pray that your people would know you. That they would walk under the authority of your son. I bless them today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.